Hey friends, this is Josh Blair, and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast. My prayer for the message you hear today is that it will inspire you and encourage you to walk closer with Jesus this week. If you want to stay connected with us, please check us out at CVC Madera, both on Facebook and Instagram. And you can check out our YouTube channel, Central Valley Church. Thanks for listening. Uh, we've been reading through the book of Exodus, and there's so many powerful stories in the book of Exodus, isn't there? There's so many. It's a challenge for me to just kind of choose one that's like, man, how can I preach about all the things we've read already? Um, so I'm going to just kind of focus on, on one story today out of Exodus and maybe do a little recap. But there's so many things that happens after we left last week of Joseph, right? He, he, uh, he wraps up Genesis chapter 50. He dies, right? Now 400 years have passed between Genesis 50 and Exodus 1. 400 years. Have passed, and from that time, the uh, the Pharaoh that's in charge now have forgotten about Joseph, and they they imprison the people of God. They become slaves for 420 years. They're in captivity in Egypt, and you see the powerful move of God, and and you see him uh, bring plagues against Pharaoh. He sends Moses, his messenger, in to set them free. God does powerful and amazing things. Such amazing stories in the book of. Exodus, and where I want to focus uh, today is in Exodus chapter 15, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, or open up the version Bible, we'll have the verses on the back as well, but I want to answer, or help us maybe understand two questions that, uh, that I'm going to ask right now, and this is kind of these questions I want you to keep at the forefront of your minds, they connect to actually my dad's story about leaving the stuff behind us. The first question is this, how is it possible to return back to something that held us captive? How is it possible to want to return to something that held us captive in our past? Have you ever noticed that? You ever wondered? You, you've come to God, you come to Christ, you give your life to Christ, and yet the stuff that, you've, that you so desperately wanted freedom from, now that you have freedom from it, you want to return back to it. Isn't that strange? Why is that possible? Why is that a, a reality for us? We see this in the people of Egypt, right? As they wander in the wilderness, they, they find freedom. And all along the way, they're like, we want to go back. It was so good back there. It was so wonderful. Joaquin was sharing about this this morning in our prayer time. Why do, I, that's so nice back there. If I could just go back and just get a couple of things that I liked. The people of Israel say, if we could just have the meat, the food that we ate back there, then we would be happy. We want our freedom, but I just want this taste. I just want this little why is that possible? That's one question we're going to uh, ask uh, and, and try to answer today. The second one is this. How do we make sure that we don't return back to the things that used to bind us? So why do we want it? And how do we make sure we don't go after it? Those are the two things we're going to uh, answer today. Let's bow our heads and pray as we get into God's word. Lord, I thank you for your mercy. I thank you, God, that every morning your mercies are new for us. So even as we are struggling yesterday, we rise and your mercy rises with us. I thank you for your love and your grace. Come speak to us, Holy Spirit, through your word today. We are hungry and thirsty for you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's a couple of rhetorical questions. Have you ever been frustrated? You don't have to answer. I know you've been frustrated. You ever been, you ever been angry? Come on, the Niners are not in the Super Bowl. Here's, a, here's one. You ever, have you ever been hurt by someone or something? Yes. These are, these are rhetorical questions because we know the answer is always yes. It's a part of being human. 
It's a part of being alive. To be human is to be frustrated, angry, hurt, disappointed. We, we see this often. And, and to be frustrated, to be hurt, to be, to be disappointed, they're, they're painful in themselves, but they can also become very damaging if we allow our frustration, our hurt, our disappointment to lead us into something else. They, they have the ability, if we're not careful, to be, we get so frustrated, so disappointed, so hurt, if it happens time and time and time again, if you've ever been in a situation like this, you know exactly where I'm leading. If you've been hurt and frustrated over and over and over again, what does that produce in us? It produces a word called bitterness. It becomes, why is this happening? It's continuing to happen. I'm sick and tired of this happening. It's, it's never going to stop. And all of a sudden, uh, the frustration, your hurt, your disappointment has led you into something much deeper and much more powerful called bitterness. Bitterness is a very powerful thing. It has the ability to ruin the best of things. Back uh, a while back, Faith and I were on this juicing kick. We loved, ju we juiced everything. If you, could, if you could juice it, we did it. It's like, can you, granola, you want to try it? Sure, throw it in there. Let's see if we can juice it. You know, whatever we could juice, we juiced. And I was like, I had this mad scientist idea. I was like, let's just throw apples, whatever, beets. I One time I made a, a, a juice of all roots. Bad idea. Beets, sweet potato, what else did I throw? I just threw all kinds of stuff in there. I'm like, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to be rooted. You know, I just kept throwing all this juice. I drank it. I puked. I literally puked from it. It was so, I was like, how oh, a mistake. It was just like, it was horrible. But I remember one time I was doing all this juicing, and I had all these wonderful things in there, celery, all the good stuff you want to juice, cucumber and apples to make it sweet, and I had all these things. And I'm going to put lemon in there to get a little bit of zest in it. And I thought, zest, lemon zest. If you ever done cooking, when you make a lemon zest, you use the outside of the peel. You're not, you know, you do a little lemon zest. You're like, ooh, it's so wonderful. I thought, man, I could really zest it up if I threw the whole thing in there. <laughs> I took the whole lemon. I threw it in the juicer. I thought, what's the big deal? A lot of nutrients in the rind, right? That's what they always tell you, but we never eat it. I found out why. Because just the, the rind of the lemon spoiled the entire juice. It made it so bitter I couldn't drink it. Just, just the, the, the bitterness that was surrounding the goodness of the lemon ruined my entire drink. And that's what bitterness does for us in our lives. There could be something very good, but if we allow bitterness from other things to come into our heart, all of a sudden bitterness takes over and we can no longer find the good because it's been surrounded by bitter. This is my first assertion that I'm going to make for us this morning, and it's this. I believe one of the major ways we return to the captivity of our past is because uh, we are bitter about what we see today. The only way that what is in front of us no longer looks appealing to us and we want to go backwards is because we're not really pleased with what we see in front of us. And it's not what we expected it to be. And when expectation leads to, uh, a lack of meeting our expectation leads to frustration, hurt, and disappointment, all of a sudden those things brew in us, become bitter, and we say, let's go back to something better. I want to explain more as we get into it, but here's another question for us. Why is bitterness so dangerous and so damaging, and how do we overcome it? 
I think bitterness is always an option for us. You always have the, the, the choice to make. You can either choose to be bitter or not to be better, bitter, even as followers of Jesus, especially as followers of Jesus. I think the world champions bitterness. I think the world's like, the more you complain, the more strife you have, hey, we'll put you on TV and you, you'll sell millions. You know, right? Complain on your YouTube channel, you'll have a million subscribers. Air your bitterness, and we love it. But in the church, we understand that bitterness is a killer. It's damaging. And, and God revealed that to us in a picture out of Exodus chapter 15. Again, if you've been reading with us, you know the history of what we've read through in Genesis and, and the chapters through Exodus. And we see God sending the people, right? Then Moses, through the plagues, he, he leads the people out of Egypt, out of captivity. And they go to the Red Sea and they're panicking. The, the, the Pharaoh's army is coming down after them. And they're like, what are we going to do? And God splits the Red Sea, and they march through it. Powerful story. They walk through on dry land. They get through Pharaoh's like, oh, we'll do that too. And all of a sudden, the water collapses over them. I love that part of the story too. Because our past is full of dead things. Like God says, I want you to remember you're set free from. And we're like, let's just see if we can fish them out. <laughs> it's dead behind us. They come through on dry land, and all of a sudden, they begin, the Bible says in chapter, or, or verse, or chapter 15, verse 22, they begin to worship God, and they're praising God, and they're excited to be about being set free. You ever been set free from something, and you're like, God, I didn't think I could be set free, and you did. Woo-hoo-hoo! You're amazing. Then from that point, verse 22, it says, then Moses led Israel, and he set out from the Red Sea. And they went into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. Three days into the wilderness. Can you see the irony? Isn't it ironic? They left a sea of water. They marched three days into their freedom. And they have no water. Three days. That's just how life is, isn't it? One moment we're dancing on the mountaintop. Nothing can touch us. We're set free, man. We're excited. They only, it's only good things in front of us. Three days later, we're, we feel like we're dry and thirsty. Isn't that crazy how that works? You can have a powerful God moment on a Sunday. Say, wow, I've never experienced God like that before. On Wednesday, you're like, I don't know if I'm saved. <laughs> this is reality. This is how life hits us. We, we get in dry moments and we think, this, this is it. Like, what are we going to do? And this is actually the beginning of where bitterness starts. We're frustrated. This is what I often see, that frustration arises when we don't have in this season what we had in the previous. We get frustrated that this season doesn't look exactly like the season behind us. And we think, man, it, I even say, man, the good old days. Remember the good old days? The good old days. I remember the, the good old days. No internet. Play outside. Good old days. But we get frustrated that it's not how it used to be. And part of that leads into frustration, which is a beginning part into bitterness. Verse 23 says this, when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter, therefore it was named Marah. 
It's ironic. The water was so bitter, the place was called Mara. Mara means bitter. Sometimes we get into places uh, we know it's not good for us. It's, it's bad. These are areas in life that we, sh- we know we shouldn't be in. We shouldn't return to them because we remember all the bad things that used to happen in those places. And we named them those bad things. Mara, they return. They're here at Mara three days without water. And now they find themselves at a place that has water, but they can't drink it because it's bitter. I mean, what would you do in that situation? I don't know. Uh, I think I would be like the people of Israel, complaining about not being able to quench my thirst with something that's right in front of me. You, you go in expecting one thing and you get something else that makes you frustrated, makes you disappointed. I think sometimes we have the benefit of hindsight. We can look back and be like, man, how could the people of God complain? He set them free. They saw him do powerful things with the plagues against Pharaoh. They marched through a, a sea on dry land. Three days later, they're complaining. What's wrong with these people? They saw powerful moves of God, and yet they complain against him. They don't trust him. Well, we could say the same thing about ourselves. How many of you experienced a move of God? How many of you have been set free from something and now you happen to be in a dry place or you happen to go into, a, into the wilderness of life and you look back and you say, wow, where's God at now? Why has God dis- turned from me? God doesn't love me. We're just like the people of Israel. Complaining. Being so negative about and forgetting about what God's done for us. And verse 24 says this, the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? Then he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. And he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. First, maybe you're wondering, what kind of log was this? Wow, where can I find some of that log too? I'm going to give you a little... Insight, there's no such log that can purify enough water for a million people. There's no such, no such log that there's just out there in the world that maybe scientifically Moses knew somehow. God said, choose that log that's got sweetness qualities in it and throw it in the water. No. God was using this as symbolism. The, in fact, the Old Testament is full of symbolism. We saw that in the story of Joseph last week. God, in every story of the Old Testament that was rooted for the, for the benefit of the people of Israel, the people of God, was always pointing forward to Jesus. See, the, the story of Exodus, of Israel, actually parallels our lives as believers. The people of, Is, the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt. We were slaves to sin. They crossed the water of the Red Sea, destroying the old ruler, showing that they belong to God. We are baptized in water, demonstrating our old life has passed away. We uh, we are made new and belong to God. They celebrate. They worship God. We celebrate. We worship God. We see a parallel. They encountered bitterness. We will also encounter bitterness. But the question is, what we do with bitterness makes all the difference. So Moses had a log. I asked my dad, I said, Dad, go search the property. I need a log. Moses grabs a log, and he throws it into the water. Maybe you're thinking, well, not that kind of log. That log's dirty. That log's nasty. Moses, I'm sure he, like, sanded it down, knocked off the bark off it. 
made it look pretty. It's a pretty log that Moses threw into the water. But we don't, we don't hear that. We don't see that in Scripture. Right? In fact, I, I happen to believe that it was a log very much like this. Dirty, dingy, unattractive. A log that did not look special in its time. So people are like, you're going to throw that into the water and then we're going to drink it? Let's do something different. This doesn't make sense to us. But Moses grabs this log. He throws it into the water. The water becomes sweet. See, there's nothing particularly special or attractive about this log. Except that God wanted him to use it because he wanted it to point forward to another tree that would also address bitterness. See, this log was a representation of the cross of Christ. See, the cross in its time was also unattractive, nothing special. In fact, they hung common criminals on it. It wasn't beautiful. It wasn't cleaned up. They didn't sand it down and polish it and varnish the cross and make it all nice and shiny. They didn't make it out of gold like our necklaces do. No, it was ugly. It was dingy. It was dirty. Yet on it hung the solution for our bitterness and our pain and our resentment and our frustration and our hurt and our sin. The cross is what we would need to address bitterness in us as well. Not only did it make us right with God by cleansing us of our sin and removing it from us, but it also takes our bitterness and makes it sweet. How does it do it? Well, there are some things that are, the Bible says there are mysteries of God, some things that we can't fully understand how God does everything that he does. But I do think there are a few things that we can know about the cross that stands in opposition to bitterness. And when we allow bitterness to take root, it, it, it draws us back to our captivity. So I'm going to use alliteration here because it helps us remember, and it's fun, alliteration. The first one is this. If you're taking notes, we're looking at things that can stop our, if we can stop our frustration, we can stop our hurt from becoming bitterness in us, then we'll stop the cycle of sin that continues to bind us. The first one that the cross helps us to make sure that we don't become bitter and return back to our past, the first one is forgiveness. In the cross, we've been forgiven of our sin, past, present, and future. And Jesus defeated the power of the enemy, freeing us from his grip and bringing us into right relationship with the Father. And bitterness often develops from an unwillingness to forgive. And the cross stands in direct opposition to unforgiveness. Frustration over time, disappointment and hurt over time can create in us a difficult season in us for to forgive those who are causing frustration, hurt, and disappointment. But unforgiveness, when coming to the cross, meets its opposition. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 through 35, this story of a king who forgives a servant who owes him millions of dollars. I've said this story before. A servant comes to the king owing him millions of dollars, millions of dollars in debt. The king forgives it. The servant goes out, finds another, another servant who owes him $1,000 and begins to choke him saying, where's my money? 
The king hears word of it, calls the servant back in and says, because you were unwilling to forgive the debt of your fellow servant, I'm unwilling to forgive your debt. You owe me millions back. And you'll be in prison until you pay it all back. This idea of unforgiveness can lead us to bitterness, but the cross stands in opposition to our unwillingness to forgive. Because the Bible says, you want to be forgiven? Forgive. When forgiveness isn't granted, it turns into bitterness, which tortures the one who holds on to it. But if you're in a season where you're frustrated and it's leading to uh, unforgiveness, how could they do that? I can't believe it. I trusted them. They did all these things to me. Then if you look to the cross, you say, how can I hold on to this when Jesus forgave me for all of those things? The cross, the log, stands in opposition to unforgiveness. The second thing that we see in the cross is fairness. It confronts fairness. Being treated unfairly or unjustly can produce bitterness, but the cross confronts fairness because Jesus certainly was treated unfairly. He was punished for a sin he did not commit. He was unjustly accused, and yet he endured. And there's so many times, I hear so many times people talk about fairness, and even in our society, how we want things to be fair. But if we, if we felt like we've been treated unfairly over and over again, there, there becomes opportunity for bitterness to sink in. But if you want to know how to address fairness or unjust, unfair things, look to the cross. If you feel like you've been treated unfairly, you're in good company because Jesus was treated unfairly. The cross confronts the idea that we have in our society of fairness. And that, that, that's not to say that if we see unjust or unfair things that we just say, oh, well, we should do something about it. But that do, what it does speak to is that we shouldn't allow unfairness that is done to us to create bitterness inside us. If, you've been, if you think, man, I can't, this is so unfair. Well, part of life is unfair. Our boys, Corbin always like, that's not fair. I'm like, get used to this. This is life. Life is not always fair. But even into adulthood, having conversations with people who felt like, man, I was cheated this, and they did that, and they talked bad about me here. Man, it's just not fair. I'm like, it's true. It's not, doesn't, it's not, doesn't mean it's right, but it's, it's the facts. But are we going to allow unfairness in life, which is a part of life, to create bitterness in us? Or if you want a solution to how to make sure we overcome bitterness, look to the cross. Take it to the cross. Say, Jesus, I feel like I'm being treated unfairly, but you know what that's like. Will you help me overcome like you overcame? What does the Bible say we overcome? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Our words are powerful. How we speak life even in the midst of unfairness. The last one is futility. Forgiveness, fairness, futility. Futility meaning, what's the point? There's no results. There's no fruit. We can become bitter when we don't see the results of what we're looking for, or we don't see the fruit of our labor or our efforts. When everything seems pointless, when things aren't going the way you wanted them to be, the you know, the, the stuff that you wanted to work out, and 
the stuff that you're investing in is not coming back. And you're like, this is pointless. Sometimes, church, you can feel that way. Or you're in building relationship with people and community and you know, you're not, things aren't being reciprocated or you feel like, you know, those things aren't the way I want them to be and this is a waste of my time, this is not working out for me, why do I keep doing this, why do I keep investing in these people? Futility. Bitterness can develop out of this idea of futility, but let me remind you that we do not always know the end result. See, those who followed Jesus when he went to the cross thought, surely this can't be the answer. This can't be the solution. You're going to die? This is how you're going to reign? This is how you're going to rule? You're going to go to the cross and die? That makes no sense. See, Jesus hung on the cross, and the disciples had already abandoned him because they thought, it's over. We followed Jesus for three years, and for what? What's the point? This is all futile. This is all, there's no results here. There's no fruit here. We thought he was going to lead us into a new kingdom, and now he's dead. They didn't understand that three days later, Jesus would rise from the dead. Three days. A lot can happen in three days. The people of Israel went from rejoicing three days into the wilderness, thinking we're going to die. The disciples saw their master die, and three days later, they said he's alive. Perhaps there's something that says that the seasons that we're going through won't last as long as we think they're going to last. You know when you're going through hard times and difficult seasons, you're like, this is never going to end. It's never going to, I'll never recover from this. I'll never get over this. I'll never come out of this on the other side. But Jesus says, you don't know what I can do in just three days. I, I, I believe the Lord's speaking to someone today that there's a resurrection coming to those who are seeing areas in your life, those who had dreams that seemed that are dying, that had, had put in hard work that looked like no, went nowhere. We'd come on beekeepers. <laughs> who's put in situ, who've been in situations that seem pointless and hopeless, and yet there's a resurrection coming through the cross. But don't let bitterness take hold of you in the middle of your season because it's a killer. Don't let frustration and disappointment and hurt lead you into a place of bitterness because it will make even the sweet things bad. What I think is interesting is that bitterness will keep us dry. There's something about when we, when we are trying to seek the Lord and follow Christ and in our walk with Jesus, especially when we come to the Lord, you know, we have this initial, like, on fire moments. I love hanging out with brand new Christians. They're so hungry. They're like, man, I got to read where I, whatever, when are we going to have another worship night? And they're just so excited. And they're like, what are we going to do? Like, so I don't know what you're saying. They're so excited. But moments when, we're, as we're walking through life, we're walking on the journey that my dad illustrated with the two horses across the country. We're going to run into situations in dry areas and plains and valleys and hilltops. But in those moments, if we allow those difficult seasons to become 
frustrations in us that lead us into bitterness. Bitterness all of a sudden stops us from allowing, uh, from, from feeling the Spirit of God working in us again. Because bitterness will keep us dry, won't it? Bitterness closes a door in our hearts to feel the Spirit of God working. We see this in the illustration. If Moses had not thrown the log into the water, it would still be bitter, wouldn't it? The people would not have water to drink, and they would have died there in that wilderness in that moment without water. Without the log, without the cross, bitterness continues to rule supreme in our lives. And bitterness will continue to dry us up and dry us out until we have no life in us. But Moses, thankfully, obeyed God through the log in the water. It became sweet. And as it became sweet, they found they could drink it. And from that moment, they continued to move forward. And in moving forward, they found a place of refreshing. Bitterness seeks to rob you of blessing, seeks to keep you dry. But if we'll turn to the cross, look to the cross in moments of frustration, moments where we're wrestling with forgiveness, moments when we're wrestling with with unfairness or moments that we find ourselves thinking, is it all futile? Is it all pointless? In those moments, if we'll look to the cross, eventually we hang on to the cross, we will find places of refreshing and blessing. In verse 27, it says this, after living, leaving Mara bitterness behind them, the Israelites traveled on to the oasis of Elam where they found 12 springs and 70 palms and they camped there beside the water. In other words, they left bitterness behind and they found a place of refreshing. Whatever has caused or may cause bitterness in you towards someone or something or even God must be addressed through the cross. Not on your own, not by complaining to somebody else, not by just sitting in it and being frustrated and allowing that frustration to brew and become a root of bitterness in us. We have to take it to the cross. We say, God, I don't know if I can forgive this person or forgive this situation or move past this point, but at the cross, you were able to forgive me. You you forgave the entire world. You, You forgave the sins of all humanity at the cross, and you call me to forgive. So I don't have a right to hang on to this unforgiveness. I have to bow my knee to the cross and say, I have to forgive. God, I'm dealing with a situation that seems unfair to me. How could they do this to me? Why would they do this to me? They used to be my friends. I thought we were close, and they treated me so unfairly. And I'm never going to trust again. I'll never be around those people. I'm never going to do these things again. I'm going to isolate myself. I'm going to be by myself. But wait, you go to the cross. Say, God, you were treated unfairly. Jesus... You put yourself in the situation of unfairness. So I'm going to bow my knee and say, I trust you even in the moments where I feel feel like I've been treated unjustly and unfairly, and I'm not going to allow this to take root of bitterness in me. In moments where you feel frustrated and feel like you've invested so much and it looks like it's not going to lead to anything else, you understand what the disciples feel like when they saw their master, their, their leader hanging on the cross. But we bow, we look to the cross and say, Jesus, you have a plan that's greater than I can understand. And I'm going to be patient and wait 
because maybe in three days' time, things will look different. Maybe I'll have a different perspective. The cross changes our perspective, doesn't it? Asked a question, how do we make sure we don't return to our old ways, and how do we overcome bitterness? The answer is we look to the cross. We go to the log that removes our bitterness. See, there's hope today in the cross of Jesus. On the cross, he won the victory. He defeated the enemy. He secured life more abundantly for all of us. And through the cross, Jesus makes our bitter waters sweet again. If we'll look to him and trust in the finished work that he did. So this morning, if you're holding on to unforgiveness, the Bible calls us, the cross calls us to forgive today. Don't take it into tomorrow. If you've been treated unfairly, forgive and endure because Jesus endured for us. You're in good company with Jesus. If you're disappointed, you don't see the results that you've been looking for, don't give up. You haven't reached the end yet. No matter what you've experienced in the past or what you'll experience in the future, we can be sure that there is hope and victory in Jesus. Thanks for listening to this message. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel to hear past episodes. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate it and share it with your friends and help us out a lot. If you're interested in supporting the ministry of Central